0: Welcome to Kingsway. We hope you're having a blessed Christmas. Well, what does it mean to be blessed anyway? We've been saying it a lot around here this last month. We hear it a lot this time of year, don't we? Being blessed. Is it just something we say when we get something we want? Hashtag blessed. Look at that. Or is there a deeper, richer meaning that we might be missing out on? What if I told you that blessing was associated with Christmas? That being blessed was tied to Jesus? Well, to unpack this idea even further, we gotta go back a couple thousand years to a silent, starry, holy night.
1: Merry Christmas. I love Christmas. I love the lights, I love the music, I love the gathering together, the presents, the trees. I love it all. And part of the reason I love it is because there are just so many traditions, things that we do year after year after year. The church has some traditions too. One of those traditions is called communion. And communion actually comes from an Old Testament thing called the Passover, where the Israelites remembered God leading them out of Egypt and into freedom into the promised land. And they marked that celebration by celebrating the Passover. And it was on the night of the Passover that Jesus was celebrating that meal and he took the bread and he took the cup of Passover and he applied it now to himself. And he says in Luke chapter 22, verse 19, and he took the bread, gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. It's such a powerful moment because while the bread that was sitting in front of the Israelites would have represented the perfect sacrificial lamb's body of the Old Testament, Jesus said, I am now that sacrificial lamb. So the next night when he was put on the cross, he's saying, my body is now sacrificed for you the way that lamb's body was sacrificed for you. The reason we eat this bread without leaven in it is because the leaven represents sin. And it's our way of reminding ourselves that Jesus on the cross removed our sin. So when we're taking communion, we're celebrating the fact that Jesus has removed our sin. Go ahead and take that bread now, and if you need to break it and pass it around, go for it. But take a piece, just say, thank you, God, and eat. Verse 20 says, in the same way, after the supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. The Old Testament tells us that life is in the blood. And so the way that Israelites would purify themselves from sin and unrighteousness is they would sacrifice a lamb's blood or a goat's blood, but it had to be perfect spotless. And the reason that Jesus uses this, I know it seems weird to us today, But you can imagine the temple in the Old Testament with blood, literally a stream of blood pouring out of the temple. And Jesus is saying, tomorrow, my blood will stream out. My blood will pour out. And it'll do that because it will cleanse you, purify you forever. And since that day, we've not ever needed to offer another sacrifice. So let's drink the cup of the juice and remember that Jesus took away our sins to make us right with God. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for this day, this opportunity to gather on the last Sunday of 2021. And God, we thank you for Jesus who took away our sins. We thank you for Jesus who purifies us and makes us whole. And we thank you, God, for giving us such a blessed life in him. In Jesus' name, amen. It's such a perfect setup for what I want to share with you here on this last Sunday of 2021. If you go all the way back into the Old Testament, as God led the Israelites out of Egypt and led them into the Promised Land, he began to establish the Israelites as the people of God. And in that, he put a lot of pieces in place to help point us to Jesus. There's so much more we will say later when we do our series on Exodus. But for our purpose here today, one of the pieces that God put in place in the Old Testament is somebody called the High Priest. This was Aaron. Aaron was the first high priest, and the high priest was supposed to be overseeing all the other priests and Levites, and he would lead the people of God into the presence of God by mediating the services on behalf of God. Aaron was to point us to Jesus, and Jesus is called in the book of Hebrews, our now great high priest. And the reason that's so powerful is because at the end of Numbers chapter 6, God goes to Aaron, and he tells Aaron to pronounce a blessing over the people. We like to use the word blessed today to say a lot of different things. Like, you know, somebody sneezes. We say, God bless you. Or if we think somebody is maybe um, silly, especially if you're from the South, you might say, oh, bless their heart, right? Some of you know what I'm talking about. We might say something like, oh, bless you if somebody does somebody, something nice or something similar. Uh, you might say you're blessed if you get a gift card in the mail or a nice present or a good parking spot. But a blessing it has a little bit of a different connotation the Old Testament and really throughout the scriptures. The idea of blessing has to do with abundance, but not necessarily an abundance of possessions or abundance of houses or abundance of cars. It just has to do with plentiful, uh, much. In fact, we see blessing throughout the Old Testament many times as a father would bless his sons. There's even this story in Genesis where uh, these patriarchs of the faith gather their children together on their deathbed and they just begin to pronounce these blessings and they hand out these words and they're almost prophetic words. They're these powerful moments of, this is what I see in you. And it becomes this opportunity for a father to speak truth and love over his children. Well, that's powerful because all of that kind of gets wrapped up in this idea of what we call the high priestly blessing. Some people call it the Aaronic blessing because it's Aaron's blessing to the people. Here we see it in Numbers chapter six, verse 22. It says, the Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron and his sons, this is how you are to bless the Israelites. Say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. And the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. So they will put my name on the Israelites and I will bless them. This passage is used actually in some churches and Christians uh, really throughout the world today. I believe Catholics and Lutherans, and I'm not sure all the group of Christians that use it, but they use it to close their services or special services. It becomes what's called a benediction, a pronouncement, a blessing over the people. It's a reminder to them to, to walk in the blessing of God. But if you break this thing down, it is so powerful. There's so much in this blessing coming from the great high priest over us. In fact, I think it would be beneficial for us to break it down a little bit further too. So in Egypt, as God led the Israelites out of captivity and into freedom, you can imagine what it was like to be them, right? Here they are. They're slaves in a foreign land. It's not their natural homeland. They've been brutalized. Every day, the Egyptian taskmasters make their work harder. They make them make bricks without straw. They keep making the work harder and harder because the the Pharaoh just hates these Israelites, wants to be done with them in so many ways. And God comes in and he frees them with these plagues, leads them to the Red Sea, and eventually he crossed the Red Sea. And now he's led them out into this place where he's now revealing to them, you are my people, I have chosen you, and I will be your God. But the people are traumatized. What we would call today is PTSD, the post-traumatic stress disorder. They're still learning what it's like to walk in relationship with God. They're still learning what it's like to be a people not ruled by an evil king and master. And my guess is they have a misunderstanding, a misconception about who God really is because of all they have been through. And so then we find ourselves in this text in Numbers chapter 6, where God pronounces this blessing over them through Aaron and his sons and says, I want you to continue to do this over the Israelites. And there's so much power in it. Verse 24, the Lord bless you and keep you. You're gonna think about what does it mean to keep something? What are the things we keep? Well, we keep things that are valuable, right? A keepsake, we might call it. You might keep a leftover, you know, keep that for tomorrow. And some of these ideas in our language today would have relevance, but some of them would be misunderstandings. We put leftover food inside a container, right? That's not exactly what God has in mind, that he wants to control you or, or overpower you. That's what the Pharaoh did in Egypt. When God says he wants to keep you, he wants to take something valuable and he wants to protect it. One of the words for keep here can be used in the Old Testament for a gatekeeper. And the idea is, right, a a gate or a fence can keep something inside it. But the thing that it's keeping inside isn't for the sake of control. It's for the sake of protection. Fast forward for a second, because when God tells Aaron that he is to do this as the high priest, Aaron, the high priest, is to point us to Jesus with the New Testament, the book of Hebrews calls him the great high priest. So Aaron in the Old Testament is a broken, sinful human version of Jesus who's a perfect, heavenly, holy version of the same thing. And what we find in that then is when Jesus shows up and he says, I am the door who lays down my life for my sheep. What a powerful analogy. You can imagine they would often find these alcoves at places where they would put their, their animals and the shepherd would lay down in the doorway in, in order for a wolf or a bear or a lion to attack and take any of the sheep, they'd have to go through the shepherd. And Jesus is saying, that's me. I'm a gate, I'm a door. You're gonna have to go through me if you wanna hurt them. He's really in many ways looking back at this very pronouncement of God over the people. I am going to protect you. I am going to keep you. You think about the way this goes into the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says, seek first my kingdom and my righteousness, and all these things will be given to you. What are all these things? I'll make sure you have food. I'll make sure you have clothing. I'll make sure you have shelter. I'll make sure that all of your needs are met. I will keep you safe. I will meet your needs. Come back to the priestly blessing. Verse 25, the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The shining of the face is such a powerful illustration. There's so much to unpack here. But just one reason this is powerful is because if you remember, God comes to meet with Israelites and he says to them, I'm looking for a kingdom of priests. I want you to be my priests, and I will be your God. We're going to study all this in about five weeks or so. We're going to do a little bit of the book of Exodus. But he calls the people of Israel to the base of the mountain. And he shows up in this big thunderous moment. There's lightning and there's thunder and the people are terrified of God. And so they say to Moses, we can't go up there. You go up there on our behalf. Now, God intended for Moses to represent the people, but he wanted a face-to-face relationship with all of Israel. But Israel was so afraid of God, they stood at a distance and had Moses go on their behalf. And when Moses went up on the mountain, he met with God, he talked with God, he wrote the 10 commandments down, and then he came down and delivered the message to the people. And at one point, Moses looks at God and says, God, show me your face. And God says, Moses, you can't handle my face. It's too much for you. He says, but I tell you what, he puts him in the cleft of a rock and he covers Moses up with his hand and it says, his glory passed by. And when Moses came back down the mountain after meeting with God, his face shone like lightning. And that is so powerful. There's something about the face of another person. It's been said that the eyes are the window to the soul. You could tell what a person's like. You could tell how much they trust you. You could tell what kind of a relationship you have by looking in their eyes, by looking at their face. You ever meet somebody who's had something really difficult, painful or traumatic happen to them and they can't look at you. This happens in my office a lot, as people come in and they just start to talk about their life, something they're ashamed of or that's hurtful or that makes them feel vulnerable or weak and they'll look down or they'll look away and they can no longer make eye contact until they feel safe again. And this happens all the time. And part of what God is trying to say to Israel is, we will have this face-to-face relationship. We will be restored. Remember that everything in the Old Testament was to point to something true or real in the New Testament, in Jesus himself. So in the same way that Moses went up on the mountain and met with God on behalf of the people, but then came back down the mountain and gave the message to the people, Jesus goes up on the mountain and is God and he comes back and he fills us with himself. So now we actually get to meet with God in Jesus Christ all the time face-to-face, real relationship. And the power of what we just celebrated in communion is when he took away our sin, he took away our shame, he took away any need in us to look away. He took away every need in us to feel ashamed of anything anybody else has done to us or anything else that we've done that we think no one else knows about, that we could truly stand before him whole and complete. This is such a powerful idea. And there was a study done. It was called the Still Face Experiment. What they did is they took a one-year-old and put it in a chair. And they took the mom and put it in front of the one-year-old. And the, the mom and the child were supposed to interact. The mom was supposed to smile a lot and be laughing, playing. And they, you see this interaction. You can literally watch this on YouTube. You could see this interaction between the two and the child's pointing and the mom's pointing and the mom's doing things and the child's doing things. And they're learning to interact in the world together. Then they coached the mom. And they said, we want you to look away. And when you look back, have a still face. Don't laugh, don't smile, don't look angry, don't look mad, just be still. And they wanted to see what the child would do over the coming moments. And what the child would do is, over time, the child begins to become a little bit agitated. They feel insecure about where they are in the world that first they start to use the tricks that they know. They start pointing again. They start using uh, coups or language to try to reconnect, but they just don't know where they stand in the world. Eventually, they start to cry out and act out. They just want a restoration of the relationship. Part of what God is saying to the Israelites is what we already have in Jesus Christ. And he's telling them, our relationship is restored. I will be here for you to have a face-to-face relationship so that you can feel safe and secure in the world in me, through me. You can learn to act and interact. Follow my lead. Come with me. Which leads to the very next thing that God says. Verse 26. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. So there's this face comment twice. In the old days, the people around Israel, they would worship many gods. And these gods were very fickle you never knew quite why one moment you'd get enough rain and another moment you wouldn't get enough rain. And so they would come up with all these ways to stir and arouse these gods to their behalf, to their attention. It was like they had to jump through hoops to try to get the gods to do something. This is exactly, if you know the story where Elijah challenges all the false prophets of Baal and he challenges them on the mountain and he says, I tell you what, you build an altar, I'll build an altar. I'll put a moat around my altar. I'll cover mine with water and I'll fill the moat with water and We'll just call down fire from heaven. You go first and see what your gods do. And the gods don't do anything. And Elijah starts to mock them. Like, maybe you need to cry louder. And they start crying out and doing all these crazy things and things to their bodies, trying to get the gods to tune in. Why aren't they tuning in? Why aren't they paying attention? And God is letting the Israelites know I'm not like those other gods. I am fully attuned to your needs. I am well aware of everything you're going through. I'm paying attention. I am involved. I am engaged and I care. Now, the reason this is powerful, if you notice that last part, he says, and I will give you peace. Peace here is the word shalom. When we think of peace, we tend to think of like, you know, I don't know, a Miss America pageant or something, right? What do you want in the world? If you'd have one thing, I want world peace. And we love to joke about it, right? Wouldn't world peace be great? What God is saying here to the Israelites and what Jesus promises us in the New Testament is God did give us peace. The peace comes through knowing who is in charge, whose world it is. God is for us. He is with us. Shalom has to do with um, whole or completeness or maturity. It has wrapped up in it, this whole thing, that relationally, physically, and intimately, and financially, all of our needs will be satisfied in him. So that no matter what is going on out there, no matter what is going on in our workplace, and in our schools, no matter what's going on in our families, or our friends, no matter what's going on in our neighborhoods, or our communities, I can experience shalom. Whole body, wholeness completeness in him. This is such a powerful idea that Paul wants to build on it and bring it home for us later in the New Testament. In fact, he writes in Ephesians chapter one, verse three, praise be to the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Every spiritual blessing is ours in Christ. And that means something. What God desired for the Israelites is a little bit of what God desires for us today. So think about it. He's taking them out of a difficult and painful place. He's leading them into a new land and he wants them to feel freed under his protection, under his provision, under his shalom, to explore and to conquer in his name. What would it look like in 2022 if you were to feel secured in God's love? What would it look like for whatever your greatest fear or anxiety is to rest that in the truth that God is for you and he is with you and he'll never leave you and he'll never forsake you? What would it be like to trust this blessing over your life that God desires good things for you and that even the bad things, God will work together for the good of those who love him? What would it look like to move into this new year with that kind of confidence, with that kind of belief? Is there anything that you would let go of Is there anything that you would be able to leave behind? Is there anything that is holding you back from walking in a right relationship with God? Is there anything that you feel tied down to that's not from Him? Is there anything at all that you need to let go of so that you can explore God's world with Him by your side? My friend, Rick Sudsbury, he told me once in our our parent counseling stuff, He said, Matt, he said, the way that God has rigged the world is that kids, and the younger they are to the older they are, the more this changes. But the younger they are, the more they find their safety in the world through their relationship with their parents. So if you were say, be a parent and take your child, say to a fun place to play, the first time there, depending on how they explore the world, they might need to go explore for just a few minutes and they might only go 10 or 15 feet away and they come back to you, and they get re-anchored to you, and then they go back and they might explore 20 feet away, and it might be for 10 minutes this time. And they come back to you, and they re-anchor to you, and then they go back out, and it might be 30 feet away, and it might be for 30 minutes this time. And you get the idea. They might fall somewhere along the way. They might get a bruise or a bump, and they come back and you hold them while they cry, and you comfort them, you put a Band-Aid on them, and you send them right back out to go and do it again. And this constant relationship of exploration, restoration, exploration, restoration, I feel safe, I don't feel safe, I feel safe, I don't feel safe. It's the same pattern that God is playing out for us through Jesus Christ. That God wants you to go into the world and explore with Him by your side. What do I mean by explore? Imagine what it would look like in 2022 if you were to find some way to partner with God in bringing his kingdom to earth. Maybe it's serving in a new ministry or joining a small group, or maybe it's telling that person at work or school that you know God has put on your heart to share your faith with, to finally step out in faith and do it, and it's settling all the fears and all the anxieties and all the past hurts and all the wounds and all the things get in the way. What if you were able to just step into it and say, God is with me, God is for me, I can do this. So Jesus gathers the disciples together. This is after he's died on the cross. This is after he was raised from the dead and he's going to make one more high priestly pronouncement over them. He gathers them and this is what he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. In other words, I've got all the power, the kingdoms of the world are mine and I'm giving the power to you. So then he says, Therefore, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Do you hear that power, that confidence? In other words, what Jesus is saying is we are in a relationship. I am with you. I am for you and I'm empowering you and I'm giving you my authority. So go, Don't let any more fear or any more anxiety about resources, don't let anything hold you back anymore, just go. I got you, I've got this, just go, go in my name. Take the kingdom of heaven to earth. Be a blessing people, be a people of blessing to the ends of the earth. If you see a need, meet it. If you see somebody who needs time, give it. If you see somebody who has a a resource that you happen to have, you got two blankets, they need one, give it to them. If you need, if you have a gift to give in a serving way, serve them. Go, 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 and have the confidence that your Heavenly Father is holding you tight. You, my friends, are truly blessed. So, let's go.